So let me go ahead and read, beginning at verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sentichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, once again, um, we're, we're here before you, needy and dependent. Um, at this time, I pray for stamina <laughs> um, for, for myself and, uh, and those who are here. Um, it's not always easy to, uh, to listen to back-to-back talks. And so I just pray that you help us to be alert um, and, and help us to uh, receive what you would want to uh, communicate to us today. And we pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to highlight verses 2 and 3 here. And as we've seen, chapters 2 and 3 have a lot of weighty, rich, theological content. But what the Apostle Paul does not do is he does not leave it in the realm of the theoretical or leave it as merely a matter of academic speculation, but rather he's going to apply all of this weighty doctrine that we've seen in chapter 2 and following to a very specific situation, a very practical situation. Two women in the church have a disagreement. Doesn't get more practical than that. And what I want to do is I actually want to apply what we learn about the disagreement between these two ladies to one of the biggest disagreements in both the world and the church in America, which is the issue of race or ethnicity. Over the past few years, there's been many high-profile incidents in our country, whether it be situations involving the confrontations between the police and people of color, uh, the presidential election of 2016 and 2020, uh, the uh, political commentary in the media, social media. All of these things have revealed, once again, a, na a nation divided over the issue of race. And what's more disheartening is that it's also revealed, once again, that the church is divided over this issue. And I, w I worded it that way very intentionally. So I didn't say that these incidents have divided the church, because I don't believe that. I believe that these incidents have exposed the division that was already there. And you know, among Christians, as it relates to these things, there's been a lot of anger, there's been a lot of hurt, there's been a lot of confusion. And so what can we learn as the church about unity amongst all ethnicities from this passage. Look again at verse 2. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sentici to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And, and let me just say, I, I, I think it's important to, to apply this specifically in this way because one of the things that our theological camp often gets accused of is you guys are so high and lofty with the doctrine and with the theology, but when it comes to very practical situations, you have no answers at all. And, and I don't believe that is the case. I believe that, that the Bible is, is sufficient to, to, to train us in righteousness, and that applies across the board in whatever particular area, area that we come across in uh, in this life, um, and and I, I, I yeah, I, 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 just, I just wanted to preface that there because I think sometimes we can have a, we can have a natural pushback because because this topic is so hard and 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 because the the media on all sides like really kind of like inflames like kind of like adds adds gasoline to the fire. We can be like. You know, we just don't want to just talk about this at all. Let's just, let's just kind of put our heads down. Let's not even, but, but if we're truly going to, to love our neighbor, and if, and if we're truly going to pursue unity across ethnic lines within the church, then ignore, ignoring it is not the way to go about it. We must deal with it, and we must see what we can learn from God's word or how, how we can apply God's word specifically in particular areas. So, a few observations about this situation between these two ladies. Observation number one, it was serious. It was serious. So we don't know what the specifics are, but whatever it was, it was bad. And we know this because he names the two women, Yodia and Sensichi. It's one of the few times in his letters that the Apostle Paul actually names names. So whatever was going on between them, these two ladies, it had made its way all the way from Philippi to Rome. And also, whatever it was that was between them, evidently it was known in the church. So this was a public dispute. If two people openly disagree with each other, usually that news spreads very quickly. We also know that it was serious because Paul seeks the help of a mediator in verse 3. You see that verse 3? Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. That phrase translated true companion, that may or may not be a proper name, but we know that Paul is addressing a specific person because the you in verse 3 is singular. So you know the problem is bad when the two people involved cannot even resolve it for themselves, but they need the help of an outside party to work through their differences. This was a serious situation. That's observation number one. Observation number two, Yodia and Sensichi being Christians did not prevent them from having conflict. These two ladies being Christians did not prevent them from having conflict conflict. It's clear that these women are Christians. These are believers. We see at the end of verse 3 that their names are in the book of life. And notice that Paul tells them to agree in the Lord in verse 1. So these women, these are believers. They believe the same gospel. They serve the same Lord. 
They worship the same God. So everything that Paul said about Jesus, they, would, they agreed with it. They agreed that Jesus was in the form of God and didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. They agreed that Jesus emptied himself in taking the form of a servant. They agreed that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. They, they agreed that they should work out their own salvation with fear and trembling and that it's God who was at work in them to will and to work for his Good pleasure. Good pleasure. They, they agree that, 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 that we're justified by faith alone with a foreign righteousness, and yet they still had conflict. Let this truth make us slow to doubt someone's Christianity simply because they disagree with us. Them being Christians did not prevent them from having conflict. Third observation, them doing ministry together did not prevent them from having conflict. So just in case we're tempted to think, oh, these must have been immature Christians. These, 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 these ladies were babes in Christ. No, these women were actually prominent in the church. Now look what it says. It says, these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Side note, I love how the Apostle Paul publicly affirms these women. That would have been very countercultural. He doesn't minimize their work. He doesn't even place himself above them. These women were in ministry with the Apostle Paul. They were, side, they were right there with him. Can you imagine the conversation in heaven? Everybody's sitting in a circle, and we're talking about what life was like in the old world. And we go around the circle, and we say, hey, we'll what kind of ministry were you involved with, brother? And I say, well, I was involved in Christian hip-hop and did some, some teaching and preaching. Oh, praise God. And then you're going around the circle. Hey, you, brother, what kind of ministry were you involved with? Well, you know, I, I, I served the Lord as a, a missionary, um, and, you know, I tried to serve him faithfully. Oh, praise God. How about you, Sister Iodia? Sister Sintichi? What kind of ministry were you involved with? Oh, we just labored side by side with the Apostle Paul. Just, you know, <laughs> not, you know not much, you know, you know. Like, these were prominent women in the church. And yet, they're being in ministry together. Like, it didn't prevent them from having conflict. They were working with Paul day in, day out. They received his teaching. They saw his example. They saw the fruit of his ministry. Not only did they see the fruit of it, they were participating in it. And yet, these women are struggling. They're having a problem. They got beef. Why? The easy answer, the short answer, is because of sin. Right? So, so all conflict on some level comes as a result of sin and being a Christian doesn't exempt us from that. Being in ministry doesn't exempt us from that. In fact, the closer the relationship, the more likely you'll see conflict. Oh, and somebody, somebody, I heard somebody groan. <laughs> somebody said, hmm. All, all my married folk in the building will say amen. Right? If you've ever had a roommate, you'll say amen. Right? The, the, the closer we are, the more likely we see conflict. 
James 4, 1 and 2 puts it like this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So I know this was 2,000 years ago, but it's just as true now as it was then. Don't let the Greek names fool you. If the Apostle Paul had been writing this today, he could have just as easily said, Michelle and Tiffany, Diane and Keisha, Lisa and Maggie, agree in the Lord. One other observation, I said three, but I have four. The fourth observation is that <laughs> the stakes were high. The stakes were very high. And we know this because of the language that the Apostle Paul uses. Notice, notice what he says. He says, I entreat Yodia. I entreat Sensitive. That's a very strong word. If you remember the story in the Gospels about the men who had demons, in Matthew 8.31 it says the demons begged Jesus, saying, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. That's the same word that's translated beg there. It's also the same word from Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, the King James, I beseech you. So the Apostle Paul is begging these ladies, I'm begging you, agree in the Lord. Well, why? Why were the stakes so high? Well, first, the witness of the church is at stake, right? So, so when Christians are not unified or walking in the unity that Christ purchased for us, it sends a false message about what Christ died to accomplish, Back in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, and we will not shine like lights in the world if we're constantly grumbling and disputing with one another. As Christians, we're called to present an alternative view of humanity to the world. And that should manifest itself in how people from different backgrounds, different views, can love each other despite the differences. So the witness of the church was at stake. More importantly, the glory of God is at stake. Notice, uh, remember uh, in 2.11 that... Uh, chapter 2, verse 11, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. On that last day, everybody will acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven now. We are to show off his glory now. And how will that happen? John 13, 35. Jesus said, all people will know you're my disciples if you what? If you love one another. That's how the world will know. In John 17, Jesus prays that the church would be one so that the world would believe that God the Father sent him. So this is like, this, this, this is huge. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says that, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, <clears throat> slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so, so, so when we're divided, we're communicating as a church, we're communicating something false about God. That's why this is important. And so how do we do it? 
How do we pursue this unity? I believe the answer is actually found in back in Philippians chapter 2, the verses leading up to verse 5 through 11. So turn back to Philippians 2 and look at verse 1. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that phrase translated agree in the Lord in Philippians 4 uses the same word that's found in chapter 2, verse 2, which says, have the same mind. And also in chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. And then Paul gives the gospel. So the apostle Paul is going after the heart of these ladies here. And it's really interesting what Paul does not say to these women. I find this fascinating. He doesn't even get into the particulars of the dispute. He doesn't say, Eodia, why did you do that to Sintichi? Or Sintichi, why, why, why did you say that to Eodia? No, he addresses them both. I entreat Eodia. I entreat Sintichi. I guarantee you that no matter what the issue was between them, if they both had a mindset of affection and sympathy, being of the same mind and in humility, counting the other as more significant than themselves, the issue would have been resolved immediately. And so what we're seeing in chapter 4 is an exhortation to flesh out chapters 2, verses 1 to 4 in a particular situation. So if you look at the letter in this light, you get the sense that this is what Paul has been building up to all along. So he's speaking generally in chapter 2, but then he's speaking specifically here in chapter 4. And so it comes back full circle. The, the issue is a posture of the heart that demonstrates a cross-centered perspective. In other words, Paul is simply telling these women, apply the gospel. Apply the gospel. That, that, that rich theology that we just talked about in chapter 2, let's see it fleshed out. Let's, 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 does it have legs? What's it, what's, what's it going to look like as we're interacting with one another? It's so easy for us to compartmentalize and, and privatize everything about our relationship with God. It's, it's me, it's me and the Lord, me and the Lord. And just completely forget that there's an entire community that we're called to flesh these things out among. I don't want to get ahead of myself. My simple exhortation from this text what I believe that God was saying to Iodia and Sintichi, what I believe he was saying to Jew and Gentile, and what I believe he would say to black, white, and all Christians today is this. Labor to develop a spirit-cultivated affection and sympathy for the other. Labor to develop a spirit-cultivated affection, and sympathy for the other. 
and we'll look at each phrase because each one is important. First, labor. Labor. Labor because it doesn't just happen. Ephesians 4.3 tells us, strive for unity in the bond of peace. Strive. That's a very active word that tells us that it's going to be work. That tells us that we're going to have to step outside of our comfort zones. It may mean being willing to talk about difficult topics like race. It might mean keeping our mouths shut when everything in us wants to speak. Or it might mean speaking up when everything in us wants to remain silent. We must labor. We're not, so like, we don't believe in a hammock, a holy hammock Christianity where we just kick back in the hammock and say, you know what, Lord? Go ahead and do it. That's, that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to strive for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Spirit cultivated. Labor to develop a spirit cultivated affection. Why spirit cultivated? Because it's not natural for us to have affection and sympathy for most of us, for people who are different from us or from people that we don't connect with on some level. And so this is also important because it means that we're dependent on God. So it's that, like, there, there, there's a balance there. We're called to strive, but yet we're called to not do it in our own strength. We're called to strive in such a way that we're also relying on the Spirit. And we, and we see this over and over throughout the Scriptures. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds very active. Strive. Work it out. For it is God who is at work within you. So it's both. It's not, it's, it's not either or. We, we work understanding that God is the one who is at work within us to empower us to do it. It must be spirit cultivated. We cannot make ourselves develop affection and sympathy for those that we completely disagree with. I can't, I can't force myself to drum it up. What I have to do is I have to pray. I, need, I might need to get off Facebook and go before the Lord and say, Lord, this brother or sister who I believe is a brother or sister in Christ, Lord, would you help me to empathize? Would, would, would you help me to understand their perspective? So, so, we, so we, don't, we don't only pray for them, like, Lord, would you just open their eyes and help them to see it the way that I see it? If we're right, that's not necessarily a bad thing to pray. But, but we, need to pray for our, we need to pray for our own heart. Like, Lord, because, because what, if, what if they never change their view on this non-essential matter? What are we going to do? They're still our brother and sister in Christ. Do we just shun them? Do we just cast them off? That's not what God does. That's not what God do, does with you or me. How often have we been wrong about stuff? Like, that, that's the story of our, our whole Christianity, is that we were wrong. Before we came to Christ, we were absolutely wrong. And God saved us anyway and opened our eyes. And since we've come to Christ, how many times have we been wrong? 
this stuff that I think about, stuff that I did as a new believer that I just like, I blush when I think about it. If I was white, I, you'd see my face would turn red. <laughs> like, how, how, how many foolish things? I think about things that I taught from God's word years back that I look back now, I'm like, I was, I was so wrong. And yet, God has been so patient with me. So, so how can we fail to exhibit that same patience towards our brother and sister in the Lord that we disagree with? It must be spirit cultivated. We got to pray for it. We got to ask God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And in this way, he'll get the glory and we'll resist the temptation to become self-righteous if, if we think we're more compassionate than others. A spirit-cultivated affection and sympathy. Affection and sympathy. And that comes directly from uh, chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Affection. Affection. That's the, that's the deepest part of me, my, my heart. There's nothing cold or, or distant about this. And the Apostle, Apostle Paul sets a great example in this regard. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he says to, to the, the church in Philippi, he says, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Is that how we feel about our brother and sister on Facebook who just saying crazy stuff? Do we yearn for them with the affection of Christ Jesus? Is that our posture and our attitude? There's nothing cold about this. And then notice what uh, in, uh, in, in our text, in, in verse 1, he says, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You hear, it's, it's, it sounds like he's just like pouring it on thick. But this is not mere flattery. This is genuine affection from the heart for the people of God. Is this how we feel about our brothers and sisters in Christ? And not just the ones we agree with. We must labor to develop this with one another. Sympathy. Sympathy or, or, or compassion. Now we understand this instinctively when it comes to those we know and love. Right? When we love somebody, if they hurt, we hurt. Right? If, 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 if my child injures himself or herself, like I, like I, I feel that. And, my, and I immediately, like it, it doesn't take any work for me to for, my, for me to reach out to them and, and, and ask, well, what can I do to help you? Right? That's, that's, just, that's just what we do for people that we love. We naturally sympathize with those whom we love. You have to labor to develop it, though, for those that we're disagreeing with, that we're just struggling with how they see this particular issue. And so how, how is this going to happen? How, how are we going to develop this spirit-cultivated affection and sympathy? And I think there's a number of ways, but I think primarily it has to be through relationships, right? It, ha it has to be through actually interacting with 
one another. So, so, so if we're, if we're going to pursue uni uni unity across ethnic lines in the church, like, that's not primarily going to happen on Facebook or social media. It's going to have to happen at the dinner table. It's going to have to happen as we're interacting with one another. There was, there was a, uh, I was on staff at a church in Alexandria, Virginia, before we planted RCF. And, and it was interesting because my, my wife and I, we were the only black family in the entire church. And it was a church of, at that time, of about 250 people. Um, and, and culturally, with most of the people at the church, like we didn't, we didn't have a lot in common with them. Um, but we were united in the gospel. And, and there, there was a brother there named, named Eric Butterball. <laughs> <laughs> and what can I say about Eric? So, so Eric was maybe the whitest person I've ever met in my life. Like, I mean, he, he was white, 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 culturally speaking. Um, and I hope nobody's offended by that. Um, but, but he was, I mean, he, he, was, he, was, he was just, Leave it to Beaver. I don't know if y'all, are y'all from, anybody familiar with that show? That's an old school show. Leave it to Beaver, no? Partridge Family. Anybody familiar with that show? Old school shows. He was just like a, like a, a, a country, he, I don't know if he was raised on a farm, but he seemed like he was raised on a farm. Like, I'm a city dude. Like, we, we, we could not be more opposite. Everything that he had was completely buttoned up to the top, buttoned. Just, so so, so just, just culturally, we were completely, completely different. But one thing about Eric is that he loved Jesus. And he was the most, one of the most encouraging brothers I've ever met in my life. And so, so whenever we would get together, our, our, our fellowship would be centered on God, the gospel, his word. And, and that was able to, to transcend a lot of, like, it's like if, if we were not in Christ, like, this would not be the person that I would immediately run to for friendship. And I'm sure he would say the same thing about me. And yet, in Christ, we're able to interact, interact and have true koinonia and true fellowship. And, and, and what was so, so beautiful about our relationship is that as we, as we interacted and, and were involved in each other's lives, our kids got to know each other and, and, and you know, we were both serving as elders and so we got to uh, really, really know what was going on in our lives. And, and over time, like w whenever he looked at my son, Sage, he had, he had a history. Right? He had, a, he had a, a background with him. You know, there, 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 there were times when, when his son and, and my son would, 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 would throw ball. We would get involved in football games together. And, and, and so we, we're doing life together. And so for Eric, who grew up around, he, he, he did not grow up around any black people at all. When, when these incidents were happening back in 2014 and 2015, all, all the, the shootings and stuff like that, he didn't have any kind of frame of reference for these things. But he knew me. 
And so we could, we could talk and I could share with him my experience and, and kind of where, where I was coming from, my background, my interactions with the police. And, and we were able to find some common ground so that when he thought, of, and I always thought about this, like what, what happens when my son Sage, who at that time was two, three years old, what happens when he's 16, 17 years old? How's he going to be viewed at that point? And for Eric, he's able to, because of our experience together, he's able to look at my son as the one that he played football with so many times and that, that we, he, he's prayed for so many times, that he's interacted with so many times. And that, like, that makes a difference. That, that, that empowers his ability to sympathize or empathize when, when, when Sage is going through something that is foreign to his own experience. And that's just not going to happen if we're not actually in each other's lives. And so as we think about other, what, what do I mean by other? Other can take on many flavors. It could be culturally other. It could be politically other. It could be ethnically other. So, what can we do? Because I, I know it's, and I think, I think we're going to have time for Q&A a, a little bit later so we can dive into maybe some of the, uh, some of the more practical um, examples. But three, three things came, came to mind. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that. I'll, I'll give caveats maybe during the Q&A, but I just, just want, to, want to throw these things out there. If, if you're in a position where they're like, man, like, what, 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 what can I do? One practical thing that we can do is we can pursue someone that we would not naturally pursue. Pursue someone that we would not naturally pursue. And again, it could be cultural, it could be political, it could be ethnic, right? But if, we, if, we're, if we're not willing to, to step outside of our comfort zone, we're never going to bridge the gap. Number two, ask for a book recommendation or maybe a movie recommendation, documentary, to gain a better understanding of why the person you disagree with thinks that way. So, 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 so rather than just kind of writing them off and saying, oh man, like they, they think that about that national case or they voted that way, my goodness, anathema. Rather than doing that, say, brother, sister, I want to understand your, your view, viewpoint a little bit more. Do you, have, do you have a book that you can recommend? Do you have, do you have a document, anything? And let, why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we read this book together and why don't we have conversations? Let's, 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 let's talk about it. That, that's, that's, a, that's a way of entering into each other's worlds, like doing a book swap. So <laughs> we... Read your book and read my book, and let's talk about them both. Number three, invite someone to lunch or coffee with the goal of doing nothing but listening. <laughs> Some of us have never done that. Invite someone to lunch or coffee with the goal of doing nothing but listening and ask them what, what's meaningful to them and why. Another, another example from, from my old church was uh, there was a, a brother named Ben who 
when all everything was happening with um, with Ferguson and Eric Garner and all those things, um, I, I was in a situation where I was I was really sh struggling with not having people in my immediate local context that I felt like I could really share the things that were going on in, in my soul during that time. Um, and, and one thing that Ben did was one day at the church, he, he comes up to me and he says, Shai, can I take you to lunch on Tuesday? And I'm not gonna turn down a lunch invitation. Sure, great, <laughs> let's go. Um, and so we met and, and when I sat down, we sat down, he said, Shai, I'm bringing you here to lunch um, and I do have an ulterior motive and I hope you're not offended but I was hoping that you could share with me what it's been like in your experience to be a black man in America. That's all he said. And then, and then, he, and then he just listened as I talked for the next hour. And, and, I, and I have to say that I don't know that I've ever felt as loved by the body of Christ as I did with Brother Ben just reaching out to me in that way and being able to talk with him. It, it doesn't mean that we automatically agreed on everything, every issue after that. But what it does mean, and, and I, you know, we, we still, you know, that was almost 10 years ago, we, we still interact to this day. That, that conversation brought us together in a way that had he not stepped out, because I'm sure for him that was like, kind of nerve-wracking to, to, to say, well, why, do, do, I, do I even say that? Is that even right to, to ask that? But because he stepped out and did that, like we're closer and there's a greater understanding between us because of it. And so th those, are, those are three things. But please, please understand, this is the kind of thing that takes time and it takes investment. So this is not going to be a quick fix. How do we do this? I think we have to consider how the Lord Jesus did it, and I, I guess I'll, I'll end here. Consider that when we think about affection and sympathy for the other, consider that we were more other to Jesus than any of us are to each other. Remember we talked about the heights from which he came, right? The infinite depths, the infinite descent. We were infinitely other to Jesus. And what did he do? In his affection and sympathy, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It was his affection and sympathy that caused him to empty himself, taking the form of a servant. He was driven by affection and sympathy when he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. It gets no more empathetic than to literally step into someone's nature. <laughs> we, talk, we talk about walking in somebody's shoes. He walked in our nature. That's how close he came to us. 
And so if Christ, if, if our Savior was willing to do that, he sets forth a pattern for us to walk in. If Jesus can become a human being, surely I can invite my brother or sister to lunch. My brother or sister with whom I disagree. If Jesus would be willing to walk amongst us as holy as he is. And I love in, in the gospel accounts when it, when it talks about him touching lepers to heal them. He didn't have to touch them. He, he could have just said the word and the leper would have been healed. And in that, in that religious context, that, may, that would have made someone ceremonially unclean. But Jesus reaches out his hands and he touches the most despised person in that culture. Why? Why, why would he go to, to such lengths if not for his affection, his sympathy? He's showing us, I'm, 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 I'm with you. God didn't love us. He, he didn't choose to love us from a distance. He came as close as, as he could possibly come to us in order to love us. And what are we called to amongst the household of faith, the, 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 the people of God, the saints in the land, the excellent ones, whom is all my delight? And so by the grace of God, let us do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I neglected to mention what you say at the end of the passage that, that what you say when you say that these women's names are in the Lamb's book of life. Oh Lord, let us remember that our brothers, our sisters of different ethnicities, all of our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We're going to spend eternity together in your presence. And so would you help us to not give in to the world's divisions? Help us to be an alternative picture of the new humanity and what it means to walk in unity with one another despite our differences. <clears throat> and Lord, may the world see the love that we have for one another and the unity that we have. And may they believe that the Father sent the Son. And we pray this for the glory of your name in Jesus' name. Amen.